0: Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're wrapping up looking at the temptations, or maybe a better way to say it is the testings of Jesus in these 40 days in the desert, out in the wilderness. We've uh, looked at the previous two testings. We'll look at the third one this morning. Let's start back at the very beginning, chapter 4. The third gospel, beginning with verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, that was his place of baptism, that was back in chapter 3 of Luke, and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So Jesus is going through this 40-day period of fasting and prayer and listening to God. Then let's move down to verse 9 for the third testing. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, and then uh, the Satan is, is quoting out of, Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, and now Jesus is responding with scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and together let us say, thanks be to God. Dr. Glenn Henson, some of you know that name. If you've been on one of our 20 spirituality retreats through the years, you know that Glenn Henson led three of those spirituality retreats. Glenn Henson was a professor of church history and spirituality at several seminaries. His longest stay was at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. When he taught at Southern Seminary, Dr. Henson did something that was really quite revolutionary in theological education. It was unheard of at the time. In the year of nineteen 60 Dr. Henson took some students out of his first church history class and took them 30 40 miles south of Louisville down to spend a day at the Abbey of Gethsemane. It was a Catholic monastery. There at the monastery their host that day was a guy by the name of Thomas Merton. Maybe you've heard of Thomas Merton. He was a Catholic Trappist monk. He wrote over 60 books about the spiritual life. And unfortunately, he died in 1968 in a very tragic accident. But during that trip, Glenn Henson had his students there, and they were spending the day with Thomas Merton. And Glenn Henson writes that to his horror, one of his students raised his hand and asked Thomas Merton a question. He said, why would someone with such a keen intellect like you want to waste your life in a monastery? That was the question. Why would someone like you, Thomas Merton, with such a keen intellect, want to waste your life in the monastery? And Glenn Henson writes that rather than rebuking the student, Thomas Merton, just smiled. And he responded back to the student. He said, I'm here because I believe in prayer. That is my vocation. Now, Glenn said he was shocked at Thomas Merton's response. He said, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I had never met anyone who believed in prayer enough to think of it As a vocation as a job as your work so Glenn Henson and obviously Thomas Merton thought of prayer as something that fires up your faith it's something that sustains your faith it's something that keeps you going when the going gets rough now I never received a report whether the seminary student who asked that question also agreed with that assessment that prayer can be your work, it can be your vocation, it can be something that fires up and sustains your faith. So let me ask you the question this morning. What fires up your faith? What sustains your faith when the going gets rough, when those days out in the wilderness, whether they're 40 days or Just four days or four hours or four minutes. When you're out in the wilderness and in the the desert, you're going through a tough time. What is it that fires up your faith? Now, Jesus is able to combat uh, the desert testing because he believes in prayer as his vocation, too. That's what fires up his faith. Jesus is out in the desert for 40 days. And, you know, biblically speaking, prayer and fasting is often combined together and while he's out in the desert jesus has got to make a choice here's his choice am i going to be a sensationalist savior am i going to be that type of savior who creates emotional reactions and spiritual highs among my followers or am i going to live into isaiah's vision of who the messiah was isaiah's vision was of the suffering servant who grounded his life in prayer, who grounded his life in scripture, who grounded his life in serving others. Well, as we know from the record, Jesus chooses the latter because he knows that emotional highs do not always ground our faith. What does the tempter do here in this text? He takes Jesus. Now, we're not quite sure if Jesus literally goes to Jerusalem or maybe the tempter just in some shape form or fashion transports Jesus in his imagination to Jerusalem but in some shape form or fashion Jesus has this sense that he's at the temple in Jerusalem the tempter takes him to in the temple complex to that corner where Solomon's porch and the royal porch meet and if you look straight down from that position into the Kidron Valley, it would have been a drop of 450 feet. Well over the length of a football field is what they're looking down on. And the tempter says to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. The tempter even quotes from Psalm 91. Hey, if you go down, the angels will catch you. And of course Jesus knows that you know, he would have had scores of followers if he had pulled off a of feet like that, dropped 450 feet down and land unscathed, no injuries whatsoever. But you know, Jesus doesn't want to create a faith that's dependent on the emotional, on the spectacular, on some stunt. Any of you here remember Evil Knievel? Anybody remember Evil Knievel? Remember what Evil Knievel used to do? He loved to jump cars, right? He, he loved to jump canyons. He, anything that had a gap in it, he wanted to jump on his motorcycle. It was a stunt. It was the spectacular. It kicked up the emotions. Jesus doesn't want to create a faith that's based on the spectacular. That's based on revving us up and keeping us at a spiritual high at all times. And so what does he do? He offers a prayerful, scriptural response to the tempter deuteronomy 6:16. 6, do not put the lord your god to a test you know sometimes it is a temptation for all of us it is it, a testing of our faith sometimes it's easy to equate a growing deepening walk with jesus with being emotionally charged and a spiritual high you know i've known some folks maybe you have too I've known some folks who view worship as a place where you go to get entertained. It's a place where you go to get energized with an emotional high until you return the next Sunday to get another dose from the spiritual drug that you got from the previous Sunday. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with expressing some emotion, some excitement in worship. There's nothing wrong with orchestrating some pop and circumstance occasionally there's nothing wrong with there being some pat pageantry a sense of energy in our worship we fact is we need more of that celebrated spirit when we come together as God's people but I think every one of us know that our emotions change that feelings come and go that depending on your feelings and your emotion to sustain your faith may be insufficient if you're trying to be intentional about following Jesus. So, so Jesus has a choice. He could sensationalize his ministry through some dog and pony show. Let me leap down 450 feet and land unscathed. Yeah, the angels probably will catch me. But Jesus chooses to model a faith that gets fired up, that gets sustained by Scripture, by prayer, by worship. By the ability to say no to temptation and to say yes to God's call on his life I, I don't know if you've ever heard this saying before and I wish I could tell you where I heard it and could give proper credit for it but I, I can't but it goes like this a faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first anybody ever heard that before a faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. You know, sometimes it may feel like our faith has fizzled, perhaps. Perhaps the flaw is that we've based our faith not on the facts of our faith, not on the truth of our faith, not on the practice of our faith, but maybe we've based it on how we're feeling today our emotions do i feel close to god those emotional highs that that you know sustain us for a short amount of time but the fact is it seems like we live through more spiritual lows at times than maybe spiritual highs we're all guilty of wanting jesus or maybe one of his representatives like a minister or musicians or Bible teachers to leap into our lives and to wow us and to dazzle us. We'll let them be responsible for revving us up to the point where we feel close to God. But you know the fact is there are a lot of times when we don't feel close to God. Guess what? There are some times in my life where I don't feel close to God. Yeah, I'm a human being too. Just like you. And there are times when I move through my day or I move through my week or I go through a season, a spell and I don't feel I don't feel close to God. That doesn't mean that he's not near me, and that doesn't mean my faith is any less. Just in the moment, I don't feel close to God. You know, Jesus struggles in the garden. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to be at Holy Week. Jesus struggles in the garden. He's in deep prayer. He's on the verge of being taken to the cross. And then he gets nailed to that cross. And one of the seven words that we have recorded from the four gospels of Jesus on the cross is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus doesn't feel close to God. The Apostle Paul writes about having a thorn in the flesh we we don't know what that thorn is people have speculated through the centuries what what's the thorn what what's the struggle what what's going on with paul that he's describing here with this concept of this idea of having a thorn in the flesh but initially when paul had that thorn in the flesh he did not feel close to god everybody in here in here heard of mother teresa heard of mother teresa now she is known as Saint Teresa of Calcutta. It's hard to believe she's been dead 22 years. Died in 1997. You know, about 12 years ago, Mother Teresa, Teresa this is obviously well after her death, she shocked the world because some of her letters and journal entries were collected and published. The book is entitled, Come Be My Light, The Private Writings of the Saint of Calcutta. The book depicts Mother Teresa, of course, as a mystic. She saw all all of these uh, visions of Jesus speaking to her in her earlier ministry. But in the last 45 years of her life, she felt more so than not that she had lost the connection to God. All this time, she was directing the work of the Missionaries of Charity, the Roman Catholic order that she founded. Listen to this. In one of her journal entries, she writes, this is Mother Teresa, Saint Teresa of Calcutta. In my heart, she writes, there is no faith, no love, no trust. There is so much pain, the pain of longing, the pain of not being wanted. I want God with all of my soul, and yet there is nothing between us. There is this terrible separation. This is Mother Teresa, St. Teresa. Mother Teresa's namesake, St. Therese of Lisieux, a French woman, She, she describes what she calls a night of nothingness. Night of nothingness. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, calls his difficult moments spiritual trials. And St. John of the Cross talks about the dark night of the soul. But you know, if, if you study the lives of these saints and of those of us probably who would never want to be called saints but try to live hopefully a saintly life, you know, it's not the spiritual highs. It's not the spectacular event. It's not a sensationalist savior who jumps down 450 feet and lands unscathed and all the people applaud him like evil can It's not all of those things that sustains the disciples. Those, those disciples, remember, who denied, either denied or fled Jesus. The apostle Paul. Mother Teresa, Martin Luther, St. Therese, or St. John of the Cross. What it is that sustains and what it is that fuels their faith is the spiritual bread that we eat during those dark and despairing seasons of our life. It's those times of being still and listening and speaking to God. We call it prayer, and in the biblical tradition, fasting was combined often with prayer. It's reading scripture. It's knowing scripture. It's being able to battle temptation like Jesus did by reciting scripture. It's being in worship together. It's living not a solitary life, but a life that's committed and anchored to being in community with each other, with God's people, the church, so that we find strength to move through those dark times when they come. A faith that fizzles before the finish, had a flaw from the first. So what is it that sustains your faith? What is it that fires up your faith? What is it that keeps your faith from fizzling before the finish? Let's pray together. God, this morning, we pray that our faith would have a resting place that is anchored in you, in the truths of your word, in those sweet moments when we pray and commune and talk and listen to you, in those moments, God, when we are together as your people in worship and study and in service, being in community. God, we pray those would be the things that sustain us and fire up our faith. God, forgive us when we mistakenly think that we have to feel close to you. Remind us, God, that you live within us by the power of your Spirit. So, Lord, let those simple truths and practices move us through those dark, difficult times when they come our way. Hear our prayer, Lord, as we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.